For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sergio, you always have to stay ready because you know I'm going to press that start button. This is the Tailgater Podcast with your host, Kevin Borba, and always Sergio de Esperia. And today, Sergio, we have a special segment that we're going to do called Podding on the Pod. So give our viewers, our viewers, our listeners, um, a breakdown of what we're going to do. Since it's your country, you're, okay. you're part of the country. You're damn right, Paul. It is my country. Um, <laughs> that sounded like really insurrectiony, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, first of all, I want the listeners to know that uh, Borba loves to just like start recording the second I come onto the Zencaster, and I'm always trying to like give him a couple quick thoughts before we start. And he's like, No, 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 I'm hitting the red button, we're going. So that's why he started off with, You always got to stay save ready, the for, save the thoughts for the people, not for me. Fine, fine, because fine. I, okay, let me break down this potting on the pod thing then. Let me break it down. So, as made famous by Banner Society a few years ago, and by a few I mean in the mid-2010s, so 2014, 15, that's when I first started hearing about this, um, the idea is to move to a pod format of scheduling, right? So now with the recent NCAA decree that you no longer have a requirement of a minimum amount of teams to play a conference championship game, it kind of loosens up the quote-unquote division restrictions, right? So with that being said, and with the two new teams, Oklahoma and Texas, coming into the SEC, we assume in what we're going to say, we're in 2022, I want to say 2024, I think is when we'll we'll get the Oklahoma and Texas. I believe it's 2025 at the latest, 2026 at the very latest, something like that. But money talks, and there there could be a, a plausibility that both the teams leave um, one of the schools is struggling exactly. with money, though, so we'll see. Okay, and we'll, we'll leave it very vague at that one. <laughs> um, but no, I, I like this. I like this idea. And there's also been news coming out of the SEC uh, coaches meetings in Destin and you know university presidents, blah blah blah. blah. What we're going to do here is we're going to assume that we are going to be playing nine conference games instead of eight, as is currently the norm in the SEC. What we are going to do is put these teams into four groups of four, right? Pod A, pod B, pod C, pod D. What you do is you play the three team, three other teams in your pod every single year, rotate home and away like we do currently, if they're in your division, whether it be the East or the West. And then what you do is the other, um, the other six games, you play one entire pod plus two teams from another pod. And then the year after that, you just rotate. So you play the other two teams from that pod that you didn't play the year before and the pod that you didn't play. So let's say you're in team, you are in pod a, you will be playing the other three teams in pod a every single year. Then 
for year number one, you're going to be playing all four teams in pod B and two teams in pod C. And then in year two, you will be playing the other two teams in pod C and all four teams in pod D, in addition to your pod A um, opponents that you have normally. What this does is it allows for you to play every single team in your conference within a two-year span, and it allows you to play every single team in your conference both home and away within a four-year span. Because currently, at least in the SEC, right, this is an SEC-specific example. So in the SEC currently, we have teams that don't play each other and haven't played each other or maybe played each other once um, since the expansion that included Texas A&M and Missouri. Um, so this really is a good way of actually keeping it a conference. I think Florida has played Texas A&M twice in like the 12 years they've been in the conference or something just seems a little out of whack. So, um, that being said, that's what we're going to do. Borba, you have prepared your pods. I have my pods, but I'm going to talk through my pods, um, as a way for the listeners to understand. So why don't you do me this? Why don't you give me your pods? I will write them down and then I will walk through my pods and see if there's any similarities with yours and then any other um, differences that there may be as well. So Borba, give me your pods and who you think belongs in where. Let's start with pod A. Okay, pod A. Uh, I'm going to call this the asshole pod because these schools I struggle oh, with. Oh, we have these. names for our pods? I'm naming them as I go. Um, the asshole pod I love starts it. off with Andy. I'm going to start with, from the bottom, I guess. Um, Vanderbilt's going to uh-huh. be team one. Um, I think they have to stay with Tennessee okay. because that's the closest thing to a rival they have in the SEC. And then I think I would go South Carolina and then Ole Miss to round out this pod. Um, so that way you get that Tennessee Ole Miss pod. The only contrary to my pod right now, though, is I'm afraid Mississippi State and Ole Miss will not play each other. But then you never know if they could arrange like a they play each other every year regardless of pod type of situation. You know, what I'm you, know you know you how you saying? can fix that, Borba? You know how you fix that? I could pl- I'll kick South Carolina, Mississippi State's in. There we <laughs> Thank go. Thank you very I'll much. I'm so glad that you like picked up on what I was throwing down. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I just I think it's it's hard for some of these teams because realistically, there's only about I don't know, four or five teams that have like true rivalries like Florida and Florida has the rivalries, Alabama with Auburn. So, I don't know. It gets difficult. Um, then I'm going to go to pod B, which I will start off with Texas. Um, I think it's going to be Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and then um, Texas A&M. How can I forget them? Uh, that one will be the <laughs> second Do you have a name for that pod? pod? Um, bitch, we're back. It's the, <laughs> it's the Big 12 reunion. <laughs> This is basically a Big 12 pod, but it's like we're in the SEC now, but it's just different <laughs> labels. Okay. Well, given given so, by some of your there's only a few rivalries comment. Yeah, I, I have some educating to do for you. I have to educate you a little bit when I get to my pods. When I when I think when I think of rivalries, it's like like LSU is a team to me that like they don't have a true rival. Like they have teams that they have beef with. Like we talked about this over text. And that's what I mean. I know there's rivalries like Absolutely. Texas saying that and all that. It's just there's certain teams where it's like they have teams that they don't like, but are they considered rivals? I don't know. Um, Then I'm on my third pod, I believe. Okay, so this is – I'll start with Georgia um, just because they won the championship most recently. Um, Georgia, 
you really Florida. you didn't need to say that. That's there was no reason for you to say that. Florida will be the second pod or second team in the pod. Um, since I kicked South Carolina out of their previous home, they will make an appearance in here, and then it'll revive this or keep keep alive the Steve Spurrier Bull. Um, <laughs> and then I need a third or fourth team, huh? Mm, let's see. I want to go Tennessee, but they're already in a pod, which is hard because you guys have that beef with Tennessee, and that's that's one. I to, think I think you're, I think you're left with Kentucky. Ugh, if we're being gross. real, okay, Kentucky it is. <laughs> or yeah, your Kentucky. options, your options are realistically your options are Kentucky or LSU. It's up to you because I'll tell you who I'll pick later. But it's up to you. I, I personally like, would like LSU better, but I also have this thing where I want LSU to play Alabama, so I'll go Kentucky. Okay. I think, All right, cool, cool. I think Alabama LSU is the closest thing to a rivalry game that LSU has. Um, while it's not Alabama's main rival, <laughs> um, I think I like that game the most. I always tune into that game. Um, and then that leaves me with, obviously, the last pod, which will be um, – break it down for me. I've, I, I've mixed up who I've added already. It will be Alabama, Auburn, right, Alabama, LSU, and Missouri. LSU. Missouri. Okay, Missouri's another odd odd guy. They could, Missouri's kind of going to be the odd man out of every pod. Like they're going to be the last pick if there is a pod selection. Imagine they did a pod draft. Mm-hmm. So like they got, each pod got a representative <laughs> and they got the pick who was in their pod. Missouri would go last. <laughs> That'd be funny. That'd be funny. Okay, do you want me to go? Do you want me to go with mine real quick? Yeah, let, let's hear yours. Um, kind of just based off All mine. Right. Let's so go off the leader or the initial one I said. Okay. So you started one pod. I'm going to start off with, I think, okay, all right. In order in order for people to be happy with this pod, what we need to do is we need to protect the most amount of true rivalries that we have in the SEC. Borba, right. you are born and raised in California. You're a fan of a Big 12 school, soon to be SEC yep. school. There's a lot you need to learn about the Southeastern Conference. It is very serious. There's a lot of rivalries that need to happen. So, for example, right, let's go, and I'm going to go piece by piece. I'm going to start jumping around, and when I have a full pod, I'll let you know what the full pod is, right? We need to protect certain rivalries. Bama and Auburn, I mean, uh, Alabama and Auburn need to be in the same pod. So, right down in D where you put them, I'm with you. We're going Bama and Auburn. We also need... Florida, Georgia, right? And it's never Georgia, Florida, for the record. It's always Florida, Georgia. So in pod C, I will go with you as well there. We will go Florida, and we will go Georgia. We also need the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So that's up in pod A. We'll put Ole Miss, and we'll put State there. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put what we're going to be called the newcomers pod, right? We need mm-hmm. to maintain that Texas and Oklahoma rivalry, and we right. desperately need a Texas and Texas A&M revival because we know how bitter that rivalry is. That is going to be incredible. It needs to be played on Black Friday like it used to be in the past. It's going to be able to be a perfect SEC selling point rivalry. We got the Egg Bowl on Thursday. We got mm-hmm. um, A&M and Texas on Friday. We got the Iron Bowl on Saturday. Boom, boom, boom. Premier SEC rivals, right? So we will put Texas, we will put Oklahoma, and we will put Texas A&M all in one pod. I know A&M fans might complain about this. 
oh, we're stuck with Oklahoma and we're playing Texas again, blah, blah, blah. But this is what's best for business. That's all I'm thinking about here. What's best for business, right? So we have some major rivalries that have been protected, right? We got the Egg Bowl in Ole Miss, Mississippi State. We got Texas, Oklahoma, and we got Texas A&M, Texas versus Texas A&M in pod B. We got Florida, Georgia in C, and we got Bama and Auburn in D, right? Now, this is going to hurt both the Georgia and Auburn fan bases because another, the quote, the actual longest and oldest rivalry in the SEC is Georgia and Auburn. And it's unfortunate that they are not able to play every single year, but this is one of those games that'll be every other year and it'll just be that much bigger because of it. So unfortunately, that is going to have to break. That is going to have to stop. And it's simply because, um, and it's simply because we need Bama and Auburn. Like that's just the Iron Bowl is the Iron Bowl. Um, there's so much hatred there; it's got to happen. So unfortunate for that. Now we're left with um, the teams that remain are Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Arkansas, South Carolina, Kentucky, LSU, and Missouri. With this being said. I am going to go ahead and I am going to throw to this is difficult. Um, I am going to throw Arkansas Tennessee. Could, yeah. I was gonna say Arkansas is a team that could Arkansas be is a team B, that what they could be in that B pod, but mm-hmm. they're like the odd man out because all the other, all the other rivalries trump each other. So yeah. I know, it's, it's, I know, but you know what? I, I don't mind Arkansas being, being in there. Arkansas doesn't mm-hmm. really have a true. Uh, I mean, it's it's really Kansas um, and and Missouri. Arkansas, and Missouri stay together. So here's what I'll do: I'm putting Tennessee in the Bama and Auburn rivalry uh, in the Bama and Auburn pod because of the Bama and Tennessee rivalry, right? So we'll put Tennessee there. That will, um, that will keep keep them happy. All right, they'll keep te- they'll keep Rocky Top a little bit happy. All right, at least they'll get to play Alabama every year. This has recently been one of those. Tennessee thinks it's a much bigger deal than Bama, but traditionally it is a big deal. Um, so I'll put Tennessee there. And what I will then do is I will give, based on regionalism and some history, I'll put Kentucky in that pod as well. So I'll put Kentucky okay. in a pod with Bama, Auburn, and Tennessee. Fun fact, Bear Bryant was uh, a player and coach at Kentucky before he was at Alabama. Um, you have Kentucky and Tennessee, not a big rivalry, but at least good geographic there. I feel most comfortable putting them in there. Um, so you're, you're, so right, now what we're left with, with you're, you're yeah. breaking up Tennessee Vandy to sacrifice. Well, I am, really I'm breaking up Tennessee Vandy. I'm breaking up Tennessee okay. Vandy because while that is a very regionalistic rivalry and those two teams do not like each other, that's more akin to a Florida, Florida state where they're big rivals, um, but it's definitely like touch and go in recent years versus versus um, Alabama, Tennessee is a massive rivalry. And Kentucky's biggest rival is Louisville. So they're not even in the conference. So that's something that that doesn't affect them as much. That's why I think they slot in there better. Um, So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put South Carolina and Vanderbilt in the Florida and Georgia pod. Okay. Very, very good geographic. Um, uh, very good geographic good, group right there. Good geographically. And I felt horrible putting Vanderbilt in the same pod with Texas, Oklahoma and Texas A&M. 
So I kind of wanted to put them in with maybe South Carolina to to not have to kind of get decimated every single year by their pod. Um, That leaves me with Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas. They 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 that leaves me with Texas is their rival. Um, so if that could persuade mm-hmm. you, Arkansas, Texas. You so, so I got I got I got three slots left, and I have three mm-hmm. slots. I have um, Arkansas, LSU, and Missouri. So what I'm gonna do is I am going to put. Man, this is going to be a mega conference and a pod, and I love it. I'm going to put LSU in the Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M category. And I'm going to put both Arkansas and Missouri in pod A with the two Mississippis. So for me, I think it keeps a good... I was going to say that Mm -hmm. that A pod, the Mississippis and Arkansas, is kind of like a... That's a that's a wild card pod every year because all the other pods yeah. are going to beat up on each other. Um, it, it's just a fact. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're going to beat up on each other. That pod there could be a clear cut winner every every single year. There could be someone different. It kind of it's like the NFC East of pods. Right. Like you never know. What <laughs> Very good, Borba. But yeah, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. What this does is this gives you a good regional. The pods are good regionally so that every year you're playing teams that are close to you and it protects mm-hmm. a bunch of rivalries. And on top of that, Borba, the whole point of this pod system is that it's going to be the two best teams with the best win percentage. So, yes, you're going to play the teams in your pod every single year, but you're going to play every other team, every, every team from the other three pods once at least every two years. So it's not like there's going to be this like, light schedule or too difficult of a schedule. I feel like there's going to be great balance in the schedule. And what the pods do is it kind of keeps you in your little region. So to review for me, pod A, we got Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Missouri. Pod B, we have, it's the megapod is what I call it, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and LSU. Um, In pod C, you have Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. And in pod D, you have Bama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You could probably flip maybe Kentucky and Vanderbilt or Kentucky and South Carolina. I don't want people to think that I gave Florida the easiest pod. It's not because of that. It's that there are so many rivalries that had to be protected. It just happens to be that the teams that are in those protected rivalries tend to be strong at the current moment. Like someone like Arkansas, Arkansas could legitimately contend for the SEC West next year. And currently they're in a pod with Ole Miss, Mississippi State and Missouri. Um, so it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, it, it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time and just kind of wanted to flush it out. You know, what do you think, um, of our, our pause that we've created? See, I think in this, in your scenario, I feel like the easiest pod isn't the Florida one. I actually think Alabama got the easiest draw of potting part partners, um, outside of Auburn. Mm-hmm. I feel like which Alabama is Alabama. So, I mean, you could put them in any, any pod. They'll probably be fine for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I think Alabama is kind of a tricky one because do you think something like a program's dominance will factor into who they're grouped with? Like, obviously, there's the fact that they want to keep rivalries intact. But do you think maybe the discussion of, like, this is going to be the pod for the first few years and then maybe the pods could change later? Like, do you think current success will impact the pods? I, I like what you're thinking where the pods could actually change um, 
but I, I think they're more tied towards the regionalism. Something that needs to be understood about the SEC, if you're not, if if you didn't go to an SEC school or if you're not from the South, um, it's it, it's that people take these things too seriously. Like it, like it's a problem. I don't think people should be taking anything this seriously. But SEC football fans take their games and rivalries seriously. And unless you're a Bama, a Georgia, and a Bama, a Bama and Georgia for sure. And then, um, LSU, Florida, uh, Texas A&M in the current iteration. Sometimes it really doesn't matter what your priority as a, as a athletic director should be, you know, protecting those rivalries, getting the most revenue in from those types of things. Um, yeah, I think rivalry has more to do with it than it does current level of play. Um, but that's okay. not to say that that doesn't fluctuate. I think everyone is like, I want to be in a pod with Vandy because that's not a guaranteed win every year, but it's a much easier game than playing Auburn on the road or or playing Tennessee in Rocky Top or playing Arkansas with Sam Pittman, who's got them on a roll. You know what I mean? It's much, much easier to do that than than um than another other year. So no, I think it's more rivalry than it is um, current performance. There's a lot of history my, in the South. There is. There's a lot of history yeah, in the South SEC has, that people love. Too much history for its own good because the the history is what's basically determining these pods. But I think probably my favorite aspect of the pod that's being overlooked is the schools like the Missouris, the South Carolinas, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, even who like they have a rival but their rival doesn't see them as a rival <laughs> kind of thing. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. not the rival's main rival. It gives them a chance to yeah. play the same three teams and the rivalries can be built. Uh, rivalries all have to start from somewhere. hundred percent. So like with the pod implementation, we might be seeing some more intensity in some of these random matchups that we never expected up until this point. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like I would love to see, um, like I threw LSU in Texas, Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Simply because a, the geographic distance between um, Texas A and M and LSU, Texas and Oklahoma have to be in the same pod. Texas and Texas A and M have to be in the same pod. Um, this is close in terms of regionalism, and I think it'll give the chance to establish a legitimate rivalry um, with those teams. I, I think LSU, like you said, is a team that has beef. We've said this; it has beef with a lot of schools. I don't know if they're rivals with anyone in particular. Um, that's really got to do more with. Louisiana uh, geopolitics over the past hundred years, but that's for another podcast. Um, But I think this is a good opportunity because you look at every other pod and you have legitimate firm. Okay, boom, this is the rivalry of the pod. You look at, you look at pod a with the Mississippi's Arkansas, Missouri, the egg bowl is the rivalry in the pod. You look at P B with a and Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma. Boom. That's the rivalry, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida, Georgia. Boom. Bama, Auburn, boom. You know, you have a stamped one. It gives us the ability to have like a primary, like as a neutral, right? If you're looking from 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 a bird's eye view, you have like a primary rivalry game that it's like, boom, this is the game of the pod this season. This is it. And then you get to have these like secondary rivalries. And like you said, maybe some of them build up, you know, maybe Vanderbilt, um, or maybe Kentucky plays Auburn much more often than they do now. And that kind of develops into a rivalry. Maybe Arkansas plays um, Missouri. I mean, they play every every year now, but maybe it picks up into something that means something. You know what I mean? So it gives you the opportunity to build it. LSU-Oklahoma could be a fun rivalry. 
LSU Texas could be a fun rivalry. They had that great game with Joe Burrow a couple years ago. That like these things can happen. These things can build, and and this only gives intrigue and excitement to to the conference and to scheduling. And I think the most important part is you play everyone within a two year span. You can't you can't call yourself a conference if you don't play everyone all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, quick question before we welcome on a guest. Um, we have a guest coming yes. on this episode, surprise guest. Um, which school, if any, will hang a banner first for winning their pod? So I'm talking they play their three games against their opponents and they go 3-0, and clean sweep. Which school do you think has the best chance of hanging up a banner for a pod win? For a That's pod Arkansas, sweep? isn't it? Arkansas. See, Arkansas. I was gonna say Texas A. It's got to be Arkansas. I was gonna say, I was gonna say Texas A and M. Um, no, that might seem biased. Be, j- okay, hear me out. I think I they, think you have your bias, them. but also it's it's very much like a, um, it's a pride thing because they're very much like we're the we're national champ. We're competing for national champions. Oh, we got the number one recruiting class. Blah, 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 and they go eight and four. So I don't think I, I don't think they're in a position to put up a banner to be like. Woo, Pod B champions. Let's go. <laughs> Meanwhile, Arkansas is like, hey, man, four years ago, we won one game. So I'm in. <laughs> if Vanderbilt somehow wins their pod, I, I would I would actually implore them to like put up a banner because I, I, I would support it. If Vanderbilt if Vanderbilt beats Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina all in the same year, whoever is coaching Vanderbilt is getting is the next best thing. Like when James Franklin went to Penn State. So I'm I'm with you. If they do that, hang a banner, throw a party, all that. Throw a party, throw a parade, get get the whole town in. Today, we have a special guest in J.D. Pickell from On3Sports. J.D., how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Man, I'm doing well. I appreciate y'all having me on. I'm excited to talk some ball with you guys. Thanks for uh, having me on the show here. Yeah, of course. Um, we have a few things we want to run by you. Uh, first of all, we just finished potting the SEC of the future, so with Texas and Oklahoma. So, Sergio, I feel like we agreed on your pods more than mine. Um, so, give them your pods. Um, give him a breakdown of what our pods are, and we'll see what he thinks. Because he he's down there in the South too. I'm the only one on the West Coast. So, <laughs> all right, perfect, JD. Um, okay, so what we did is we took an approach where we had to protect major rivalries. Love right, it. I think in the SEC, it's got to be the thing. I'm a Florida alum, so for me, it's Florida, Georgia. Uh, people who go to Bama, it's Bama, Auburn, stuff like that. So we got to make sure we keep those together. So. Um, I also tried to keep them geographically as best we could. Um, so here goes. In pod A, we have the Mississippis, right? The Egg Bowl, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, vital. And then we also have Arkansas and Missouri, keeping in that same geographical area. Arkansas and Missouri currently play every year on Black Friday. They have been for five, six, seven years. 
I think that could develop into something that could be nice. Um, but it keeps most importantly, the egg roll together. Pod B it's basically the newcomers and LSU. So you got Texas, Oklahoma, got to have those two together. We desperately need as a society, as a race, as a species, we need Mm. Texas and Texas A&M back every Friday on black Friday. It's a requirement. I I think, I don't think I want the SEC to have both of those teams and not have them in the same pod. I think you two can agree with me on that. I'm in. It's a prereq. It's a prereq. It's a prereq, says the, says the Texas fan. Yes, of course. Um, and then I also threw LSU in there. Geographically close. We were talking about this, um, JD, but Borba and I kind of decided LSU doesn't have rivals. They just have beef with a lot of programs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I think what do you, what do you think of that? Like, yeah, I guess like the the pushback, I guess I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here. I have memories of LSU Arkansas having some beef. That was when Arkansas was a little bit more relevant. And I think they're surging back towards that now. And then obviously LSU Bama, there's some some beef there. But if you're talking about like, hey, rivalry weekend, who do you assign to LSU? And I'm with you. I think, you know, obviously you have the Iron Bowl. So LSU's out in the cold there. So I'm, 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 I'm keeping up here. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. And there's a lot of like intra conference, like Florida, Florida State. You got Louisville, mm-hmm. Kentucky. So there's really like less options for them when you get to that rivalry week. So, all right, cool. We're on 100%. the same page. Pod C, Florida, Georgia requirement has to stay together. And then I threw in South Carolina and Vanderbilt. I know Borba had a problem, not a problem, but Borba was a little concerned with splitting up someone like Vanderbilt and Tennessee. But I did that specifically because historically, when we get to pod D, you got Bama and Auburn, yep. but you need to have Tennessee in there because the third Saturday in October is a legit thing. In recent memory, Bama kind of, eh, okay, little brother, kind of sure. go away. But Tennessee definitely still cares about that game. And I feel like if you're going to take away their um, intra- interstate rival, if you're going to take away the Florida game, if you're going to take away a bunch of other things, you got to at least let them have that historically relevant traditional Bama, Tennessee, third Saturday in mm-hmm. October. So um, through them there, and I added Kentucky as well into Group D because their biggest rivalry is Louisville. They are more of a basketball school. I feel like they're like the most malleable in that sure. sense. Uh, is there anything in these pods you would change? Do you have a certain opinion? And while we're at it, scheduling-wise, what do you think of this? It's, I mean, it's 16 teams in the SEC, man. It's it's a lot of teams. What are your takes on the whole scheduling thing with the Gosh, SEC? it's such an intriguing project and kind of daunting in some sense to say we got 16 teams. Let's put them in four pods. And if I had to give any commentary, I would just say I love the way that y'all did it with keeping the rivalries together because that's what's at risk to me when you go in the pod format. So love A&M Texas. Uh, love you keep Oklahoma Texas together. The one thing that, again, I'm kind of being nitpicky here. I, I like y'all's pods. I love y'all's pods. I would maybe push Arkansas to be in that Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma pod just for the sake of, hey, maybe you get a little bit more of like that Big 12 feel or the old Big 12, I should say. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know if there's any like perfect way to do it because any way you slice it, there's not enough room to get every single rivalry that we want. But if we had to pick a format, I'm, I'm in with y'all's pods. I'm about it. And what's funny, the one thing I second guessed was Arkansas. Okay, and hey, we're on the same like, page. Maybe I throw LSU in that Mississippi. Yeah, so we're on the same page, Love JD. That, that was the big difference between mine and Sergio's was I had I had the – it was called Group B. It was the bitch we're back group, the Big 12 group. And it was Arkansas <laughs> with Texas, Texas A&M, 
in Oklahoma because we're back. Like the Big 12 is back. And so that was like our biggest difference. Right. And then Vanderbilt, so bad. Like make Vanderbilt mediocre again. Um, we miss James Franklin out here. Um, I just, I feel like Tennessee is the closest thing they have to like significance in the SEC besides that one viral video of that guy saying we want Bama. And so I, I just wanted that for them. You know, I just wanted that for them. But so, they're the odd man out. It is what it is. There's, there's a few of those, I would say, in the SEC. And that's kind of it, right? Like any way, like I said, any way you slice it, you're trying to protect rivalries. But at the end of the day, like there's just no perfect way mathematically to make every single fan base, every single person happy. But I think, I think we're we're making progress towards that. I mean, that that w- I would be happy with that format you just laid out right there. Yeah, our pod system. Sergio is an avid soccer fan, so he's familiar with the group stages and the groups, and so he he gets it. He he built it from the from the ground up. He he's always been a pro pod guy. Wait till I would say he's the wait first till person. We get pods, and then we start breaking off the top two in each pod, and then we have knockout <laughs> rounds, and it's just relegation would be a, dude. I mean, put Vanderbilt in the Ivy League, just have him run stuff like that'd be great. I'd be all about that. <laughs> Vandy. <I'd> love <laughs> And if they don't win that, they go to like the Mountain West. Like they're just every step down, they're just okay. Now you're playing D two. No, I'm just kidding. We don't we don't want to relegate anybody Brutal. that bad. But okay, so one of the things that attracted me to your page, JG, was your breakdown of transfers. And so I have two transfer related questions for you. Um, I'm gonna let you ponder both of them. Transfer that will make the biggest impact could be any position, any player. And then I'm gonna give you, or I'm gonna make you answer. Transfer that will make the biggest impact that isn't like the key 10 guys. That's like Caleb Williams, Quinn, Quinn Ewers, Jordan Addison. So I need somebody who's like in the below that group because we all know it's going to be yeah. someone from that group is probably the first guy that comes to mind. So give us someone else. No, two, two great questions. So right off the bat, in terms of most impactful transfer, we actually did a video on this on, on our channel. And it's a tricky question because anytime you answer this, it's always, well, insert X player is more talented than him. Like if you're talking about just most talented transfer, it's probably Caleb Williams or it's maybe an argument made for Quinn Ewers. In terms of impact, I'm looking at a team like Nebraska who won three games a season ago, nine losses, eight of them by seven points or less. I think Casey Thompson, you insert him into that lineup and have someone with better production just better decision-making, better downfield, still has an element of running. I would love to see what he's going to do in this offense. I'm going to love to see what he does in this offense. I think he's a phenomenal talent. Uh, I think he kind of got a bad rap at Texas myself, had his whole thumb thing going on. I mean, people forget they really should have beat Oklahoma last year in that game. I mean, if, if Spencer Rattler stays in that game, they decisively beat Oklahoma, and who knows what Texas does the rest of the way. So in terms of impact, I think Casey Thompson will make Nebraska – I'm probably an eight-win team, I would say. I think really they're going to challenge for the Big Ten. I really do. And then in terms of a guy who maybe is more off the radar, and it's funny to even say that because he was a five-star coming out of high school, but Zach Evans to Ole Miss is someone who I think is going to have a colossal year. And he's going to take a lot of pressure off of whoever's playing quarterback, whether it's Luke Altmaier, whether it's Jackson Dart, who I think is probably the more talented of the two, to be able to turn around and hand the ball to number six, who is a man-child in himself, that's going to put so much pressure on defenses that those linebackers, when they're trying to fit the run effectively, even if their read is wrong, they're going to be forced to do it quick, fast, in a hurry. And so with his ability to get downhill, that's just going to open it up so much more for all the other weapons they have, which in a lot of ways are also via transfer portal. So most impactful, I'm going Casey Thompson. 
most slept on. It sounds funny to say, but I'm going Zach Evans at Ole Miss. Yeah, I think Zach Evans kind of got. What's funny is that. Go ahead, Sergio. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, Kevin. Uh, but I think what's funny is with with the Zach Evans thing is that the Kiffin offense. I I lived down here in South Florida. I've gone to FAU games my whole life. My stepdad went there, and when we were going when Kiffin was here, Kiffin not only had that you know, Bryles adjacent, uh, Levy influence, high tempo, whatever. But people just think he's kind of just throwing the ball downfield. It's not an air raid. It's not even a run and shoot. He runs the ball a lot. And so I think Evans is really going to be able to get those carries out of the backfield. He likes throwing to running backs out of the backfield a lot as well. So I, I really like that. I hadn't even thought of that until you, until you mentioned him. I know he was going in there and transferring, but with the Kiffin offense, and I personally, I agree with you. I think Jackson Dart has more talent. I think he'll end up being the starter. Um, but yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be really, really, really interesting to see. So I, I just agree with that. I love, love that. I mean, he's just, he's just such a handful, right? I mean, even if you want to commit numbers to stop him, there's still no guarantee. I mean, guy averaged over seven yards of carry at TCU over his two years there, which in itself is just ridiculous. So with all his talent to be in a system and to have a quarterback, take some pressure off of him, I'm, I'm fired up to see what he does. I think Ole Miss is going to be really dangerous and give a lot of people trouble in the SEC this year. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I think Zach Evans kind of got a bad rep um, for his recruiting process. I think that kind of took him off some people's radars. Uh, it was just, it was a roller coaster to say the least. And then TCU had a down season this past year. And so I think it's crazy to say that the number one or number two overall running back, because it's him and Bijan in the same class, is, was forgotten. But I would say he's pretty, as close as it gets to being forgotten in, on the college football landscape. Um, I also thought it was interesting that Casey Thompson was your most impactful transfer. Um, I am a Texas supporter. I believe you might be a, a Texas supporter, correct? Maybe, uh, sorry, or maybe a I Texas can't, follower. I can't say a Texas supporter. I, I, so I'm actually I'm in the state of Texas. So we have a, a more gotcha. Texas centric following on on our channel. So we we hit on them quite gotcha. a bit. But um, so yeah, sorry I cut you off. But go ahead. But that's that's just so that's on the record there. You're good. You're good. I had to try to catch him real quick. I um, had to try to catch him slacking. <laughs> um, but yeah, as someone who's watching Texas frequently, I think. The Alamo Bowl, Casey Thompson, and then the Casey Thompson we saw this past season were two different players. Um, there's a lot of like speculation and rumors that Sarke- Steve Sarkeesian doesn't like quarterbacks running around as much, and that was kind of the big thing to Casey's game. And so will he have that freedom at Nebraska, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think, honestly, if you look at a guy like Casey Thompson, he's a guy that would like to run when it's convenient. I think it's a great compliment to his game, but at the end of the day, he was still pretty effective throwing the football when he was healthy. And so I think to your point, that's that's a very fair point to make. Steve Sarkeesian's offenses are much more thinking Mac Jones or thinking a guy like Quinn Ewers, honestly, with his skill set or even an Arch Manning. And I personally believe that Texas is going to land Arch Manning. But all that's to say, it doesn't necessarily play as much to the skill set of a Casey Thompson. So with what Nebraska is going to do at Scott Frost, I'm thinking – Marcus Mariota-esque, and he's not Marcus Mariota. He's not as fast as Mariota. doesn't play the same game, but with what he can do in the run game, that's going to be something they game plan for and allow him to have, especially with the zone read stuff, maybe quarterback power stuff. So he's a capable thrower of the football, but the fact that they're going to allow him to run, I think is going to open up a lot for them offensively at Nebraska. And to see how close they were in so many different games and for the overhaul they had in the transfer portal, uh, Ochoan Matz was another name I almost threw out there for most impactful or maybe most underrated transfer. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for Nebraska. I really think Casey Thompson is going to have sort of a, 
a revamping of his own career because I think Texas was kind of a tough go for him. JD, I'll even give you a more recent example. Uh, go look at the 2017 Mackenzie Milton yeah. from UCF. Go look at go look at that offense. Go look at how um, KZ was able to go ahead and and do a he did a lot of before before like heavy RPO was super heavy RPO. It was the beginning of that trend where um, you got Tua was starting to ascend at Alabama with that with that system. You had McKenzie Milton at UCF trying to starting to ascend. Now people are more familiar with it, but it doesn't mean that Scott Frost isn't listen as as much as people like to kind of bash down on Scott Frost and say, oh, you know, it's it was flash in the pan at UCF, or maybe he's not the best coach. He's still a great offensive mind. He's going to find a way to be able to get Casey Thompson into space. Um, and Thompson does have a good arm. I got, I think it's very un- un- underrated and because people saw kind of results wise. And I also think, I mean, what was the biggest problem at, uh, at Texas last season? The mm-hmm. offensive line was, was, was pretty atrocious at times, especially in that Arkansas game, they got bullied around. I think with a game plan that, doesn't require you to sit behind the pocket as much as Sarkeesian would want you to gives him that freedom and creativity. I completely agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot more um, of a development in Casey Thompson's uh, showcasing the abilities that he has. That McKenzie Milton tape from 17, I think if people want to kind of get an idea as to what Nebraska might do. um, Yeah, I think go back and watch that tape. It it, it would, it'll infer. No, I I love that comp. I mean, I think that's a great point to make. McKenzie Milton, not a guy that maybe is, as mobile as as Casey Thompson, but I mean Casey Thompson doesn't want to be carrying the ball twenty times a game. Like he wants to evade pressure when he has to, have that compliment off the zone read game. And I'm just even looking at what they had a year ago. And this is not to bash Adrian Martinez. I think he's going to be really successful at Kansas State. But in terms of what he did production wise, I think it's something like thirteen turnovers, fourteen touchdowns. Like for them to be in every single game they're playing and their biggest loss be by nine points to Ohio State. Like just switch the quarterback around with someone who's more capable. I think Nebraska is going to have a really good shot in a lot of the games they played this year. Yeah, I like that eight win prediction too. I'm I'm with you on that. They definitely go bowling in my (laughs) opinion, and I'm I'm with it. Whenever those preseason over unders come come out, maybe in in August, July, I'm hammering. I'm hammering whatever the over is, and they have to right. With and they have to. I mean, for Casey Thompson and for Scott Frost, like they're both sort of in back against the wall mode right now. Scott Frost has got to make a bowl to save his job. Casey Thompson's got to put a good season on tape. I mean, a better season on tape to help his NFL draft prospects. I mean, I, I think it's kind of a match made in heaven right now. And both, both dogs are hungry and nothing more dangerous than a, than a hungry dog. And, and it helps that Nebraska like openly does not want to fire yeah. Scott Frost. The last thing they want to do is fire him. So I think the fact that he's getting all these chances and all these opportunities um, I think him making a bowl this year, they'll breathe a sigh of relief and kind of live to see mm-hmm. another day. So all that that's a whole that's all a storm brewing that I think will be nothing but success for well, relative success for, for Nebraska. Yeah, yeah let's, let's not get carried away. Um I will say Nebraska and Texas <laughs> they both had an innate ability last year to lose games. It was like almost impressive to watch them totally wet the bed in every game that they lost because it was like catastrophic every time. It was like it was almost like they were trying to do it. Like we know they weren't. It was just like they were making like the best effort they could to win the game, and like everything they did just would go wrong at a certain period after a certain play. Um, yeah, it was just it was rough. I'm glad you brought up coaches on the hot seat. Um, great transition, JD. Um, we are a big transition group here on the Tailgaters podcast. Um, that's our next question. Coaches on the hot seat. I want give me. Do you think five is attainable for you, or three to four? 
Ooh, five. Let's let's start with three or four. Maybe we'll get rolling and, and we'll hit like ten. But let's start with like like three because okay. I, I can give you a, a solid three. I feel like uh, not to be redundant, but okay. Scott Frost, right? We talked about it. Has got to win. If they don't make a bowl, he's out. That's been pretty straightforward. Uh, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech has got like nine wins in three years. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that I'm super fired up about because of what he brings to the table in terms of culture. And I'm a huge believer in culture, especially at the collegiate level with what you're asked to do as a head coach. Like you're the CEO of a program and you're supposed to get your culture in place, get guys fired up, get them to believe in you. And you got to make the right hires. And so right now he's pretty much turned over that entire staff to where he has the right hires in his mind in place. And he's very much betting on that going forward. Uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State is probably the third guy I'm talking about. Maybe these are all the the ones that we probably would all agree on. But Mike Norvell at Florida State, I think it's much more a matter of we need to see some ROI here because we brought you in from what you did at Memphis, and we haven't seen anything close to that so far. We've seen embarrassing losses. We've seen a product on the field that's nowhere near the expectation. And for a program that fired Willie Taggart after, what, like 19 games, we need to see something very, very soon. And so I think his seat's probably the most toasty in terms of, you know, Hey, we need something palpable because Scott Frost, it's like, hey, we know the expectation very much so. For a guy like Mike Norvell, if he wins six games, is he still there? I, I think there's a chance, but at that point, it's a conversation. So um, he's probably the most uncomfortable in my mind as to maybe the target isn't so clear. What's okay. What's crazy about Norvell is that they have so much, they being FSU, they have so much money tied up in buyouts. Mm-hmm. That even though I agree with you, I think he should be on the hot seat as, listen, as a Florida fan, I hope he's there for 25 <laughs> years. But the reality is, you know, I think that they need to make a change. I just don't think that they're in a position to make a change. They might have to stick with him for another year, maybe two, strictly because they're paying so much of the tagger. They're still paying the tagger buyout. Um, they're still paying um, uh, stuff from Jimbo. They're still paying Memphis for getting... Um, Norvell to come to FSU, the Memphis portion of that buyout. There's there's a lot of money tied up there. And with uh, Mario Cristobal down here in Miami, just getting a, a blank check um, with Napier at Florida, with Gus at UCF that's about to enter into the Big 12. It, that's, I don't know, man. It's it, They might have to be stuck with him and it might be the wrong decision, but their hands might be tied. I also love your Jeff Collins thing because I love him as well. And he is an Atlanta mm-hmm. guy. And the best part about him was that he was selling people about Georgia. Georgia Tech is mm-hmm. Atlanta. I understand the dogs run the state, but Atlanta is Georgia Tech's, and he's done nothing but fall flat mm-hmm. on his face. And it sucks to see, um, especially with high-profile players transferring out. You have that running back whose name's escaping me going mm-hmm. to Bama. <laughs> Might contend for a Heisman. Um, Tamir, yeah. So Tamir yeah, like, it, it's tough. It's tough for those guys, and I, I hope they get it together for the sake of. You know, for the sake of just football, you know, those when those high profile programs like a traditional Nebraska, Florida State should be a national title contender mm-hmm. every year. Um, they should be better just for the for the health. Yeah, of I mean, and it's, and it's weird because you're in the state of Florida and the problem with Mike Norvell, in my mind, is the state of Florida is only getting better. Like now you got to compete with Mr. Scared Money. They'll make the money. Billy Napier. You got Mario Cristobal, like you said, in Miami, who I don't expect either of those guys to go quietly into that good night. Like, I think they are going to make it very, very tough. And you have your athletic director of Florida State saying, okay, Florida's getting it done. Miami's getting it done. And that's, again, assuming they do so. 
what's going on, Mike Norvell? Like, why, why can't you get it done? So if it's a financial thing to where they have to keep him um, for that, my problem is I just don't see it getting any easier. Like the, the hill just keeps getting steeper and steeper to climb to where I'm worried about what that's going to mean in two years. Is the state of Florida any less competitive, yeah. especially for recruiting? I don't think so. And look, I, I grew up here. I graduated high school in 2014. So that was the year that um, Florida State won their national 13, that won their national title. And I was here for this past recruiting cycle. I have, it's been the quietest on the Florida State front down here in South Florida. I'm in Broward County. St. Thomas is an American heritage. Those schools are down the street from me. It was the quietest in terms of Florida State in-state recruiting in years. There was a lot of buzz for Florida. There was a lot of buzz for Miami. There was a lot of buzz for the big, you know, the big boys, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, those. But it was dead silent on Florida State's part. And that is not a good place mm-hmm. to be. I think they're, like you said, they're caught in a, in a, between a rock and a hard place because of the finances, but they need to make a change. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just don't see them holding on. I They shouldn't hold on to Norvell. They might just end mm. up having to. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I agree with Norvell. I will say his recruiting class was not as impressive. Um, I think the carpet got kind of got pulled out from under him when Travis Hunter decided on national signing day that he was going to Jackson State. Mm. Um, I think that was probably Norvell's signature signing. And it was gone within a matter of seconds. And like everybody was beyond surprise and he was beyond surprise. And like that was that shocked the nation. Um, his transfer class might be more impressive than the actual recruiting class they brought in. And I will say, I think I had more high on Norvell just because I think the transfer class might give the program somewhat of a boost more so than the recruits that they brought in. Um, I will, I'm going to run a couple coaches by you guys, um, specifically you, Love JD. And I want hot seat. Yes or no. David Shaw at Stanford. Um, Stanford hasn't had a winning season since 2018. Um, and the Pac-12 is only getting better. I'm going to say no for this season. His seat might be getting a little bit warmer. My thing is that a place like Stanford, it is such a tricky place to recruit to, and David Shaw has said as much. So I don't know if there's a two in the bush that Stanford could get excited about. Like David Shaw is a guy that's won there before. In the whole new world of NIL and transfer portal, maybe there's somebody else that can fit that outfit better, but I'd be hard-pressed. I think that would be a bad decision by Stanford just to go and see greener pastures and kind of just dance with the one that brung you. It's, it's going to be you know, a, an ever-changing landscape. Wait till it settles down. Stick with David Shaw. Like you said, the, the Pac-12 isn't getting easier, but at the same time, I think Stanford can win the way that they want to if they can get back to playing that physical brand of football. So a longer answer than you asked for, but for David Shaw, I'm going to go uh, not the hottest of seats. That's okay. I, I don't mind. I'm, um, I'm going to agree with you. Okay. So I'm going to agree with you, JD. Okay. With there. I, I do want to say one thing, Borba, and we can keep it moving. Uh, David Shaw. I'm sorry. I just said David Shaw. Derek Mason. Mm. I was going to say on Derek too. Mason. I think he'd be a good fit at Stanford. He's lo- he's beloved around the program. Um, I cover Stanford for Fan Nation, and uh, Derek Mason is kind of the the name that's floated a lot. Mm. Um, I'll just I'll, very- I'll put it this way: I don't think he's hanging around with Mike Gundy for too long at Oklahoma mm. State. We'll yeah, put it that way. they're going to grow matching there mullets. forever. Don't question their friendship; they're growing matching mullets. Um, next coach, we got Dino Babers from Syracuse. Uh, they have. Five losing seasons in the last six years. I think his yeah, seat's got to be cold. Yeah, if that's, I'm... That's, that's, yeah, seat's got to be hot. And I think, from what I remember, I feel like that athletic director has been pretty transparent as well of what he needs to see from Babers. 
So I'm going to say his his seat's hot. I don't have a ton more to add there. Besides, he's got that one. I think ten win season, which was maybe it was, maybe it was ten or nine wins. I mean, they, they beat Clemson. That was like they were throwing a party in Syracuse. We were up in Ithaca. That um, I went to school up in Ithaca, and we were talking about driving down to to Syracuse just to like be around the atmosphere. But uh, his his seat is hot for sure. Yeah, just hit the eject button. I'd like to see the odds for first coach fired. He might Gosh, be towards the yeah. top. Poor guy. Uh, the, the Eric Dungy era was unmatched, but it was a very brief era. I will say that. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Over, here on the, <laughs> over here on the West Coast again, well, West Coast adjacent, the man by the name of Herman Edwards at Arizona State. Ooh. I feel like I, I was, feel like it's inevitable. Yeah. I feel like it's inevitable yeah. there. I was, so I was surprised that he still had a job after all the crazy stuff went down with them doing business during the pandemic and stuff. Like I was just waiting for the notification to come to my phone of saying, Herm Edwards out of Arizona State. I hope for his sake, he's not. I think he's a fun guy to have around college football. Like selfishly, I would love to continue to listen to Herm Edwards press conferences and see what he does with that program. Lost starting quarterback in Jane Daniels. Really uphill battle to climb. Probably not in great favor with the administration. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Herm's seat's pretty, pretty warm. I would say he's probably up there with Dino Babers in terms of expecting to potentially get a a notice of termination, unfortunately. And and that one might not come from the athletic director. That might come from university president and people who are more involved with compliance and NCAA stuff. So I'm with you. Okay, I got a few more. Um, this one almost happened, and then it turned out to be somewhat of a lie. But Brian Harson, is it a hot seat, or is it him wanting to leave Auburn because of how they did him? Both of you grimaced at that question, so I feel like I know where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I actually almost asked you all this after I gave my three or so, I guess it was three coaches. I almost asked, what do we what do we make about Brian Harson? Because for me, I would say his seat's definitely hot, but not so much because of a performance. It seems like Auburn's looking for a reason to get him out, which after one season, I'm kind of like, I don't know if you want to do that yet. I'm under the belief that Auburn is one of the most difficult jobs in America to coach with just for the sheer fact of the matter that you're in the SEC and your comparison every single year is Nick Saban, which is a very, very tall order to measure up to. So I think his seat is warm, but not because of performance, but more so because of the way that he seems to have a rift with uh, the booster club there, if you will. So if they can win eight or nine games this year, I think he probably feels a lot better about that. But he's a guy I'm pulling for. But in some sense, I'm also like, dude, go get a better job where you don't have to look over your shoulder at Mr. Lumber throwing shade at you every other offseason. It seems like a poor deal to me. Yeah, I think it's like a car crash that you can't look away from, from the outside. It's it's just baffling to me how Auburn – as an institution, because even when they were looking for Harson, there was the whole situation where they put the defensive coordinator in. It was basically a coup um, that just wasn't successful. Uh, I think that if he doesn't, and again, this is going to sound insane, but we're talking about Auburn and the inner workings of their football department. Um, I think if they lose to Alabama, they could win seven or eight games and they'd still be like, oh, well, that's the excuse mm-hmm. to fire you, even though I don't think he deserves to be fired. That man's a good ball coach. It, it basically came down to he was trying to do things differently than Gus Malzahn, and that's okay. Two different styles are fine, but Auburn didn't want to do what he wanted to do, which then brings the question, why would you hire a guy like Brian Harson in the first place if you didn't want that kind of system impl- implemented? So I'm with you. It's a hot seat by no reason of his own. He's simply trying to turn over and put his own stamp on the program. 
and Auburn just isn't really having it. So they're going to look at whatever he's going to be under the finest of microscopes and anything that they can even kind of infer um, could be a quote unquote NCAA violation or whatever they will use to get out of that contract and, and, and get rid of him. So it's unfortunate for him. Cause I do think he's a good coach and um, yeah, it's just, it's just a weird fit. I think, I think he'd do. And it also is, is weird. And I know we got to move on, but it also is weird because if I'm a recruit, like I'll, I'll switch this around. If I'm a booster, I want recruits to come to Auburn to make our football team better with putting all this mess out on social media and the public and the headlines. Like that is, like recruit repellent, if you will. Like that is just ultimately knocking this thing down even more. Like you're asking for a demo day of sorts. So uh, anyways, we're, we're very much in line on this. Feels like Auburn is content to shoot themselves in the foot. Hope Brian Harson can overcome that and uh, would love nothing more for him to win the SEC this year and shut everybody up down there. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah, I just, I don't think, me personally wouldn't want to stay somewhere where I'm not wanted. And that's kind of, feel, that feels like his situation. So I, I might've put myself on the hot seat if I was Brian Harson. just look elsewhere. Um, I might be yeah. having those midnight meetings like Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. I might, I might be, I might be, I'm just telling you. And then our well, last one for this edition of Are on the hot seat is Scott Satterfield from Louisville. Is he on the hot seat? I think the seat's a little bit warmer there. I mean, he's done fine as a coach. I think he's got something I'm going to, embarrass myself i try to quote his record he's got a winning record down there in louisville now the big thing for him is he uh, you know auditioned for that south carolina job which i think didn't sit well with a lot of people he's another guy that i and then i'm sorry to cut you off but then he not bragged about it but he openly said it at a louisville press conference hey yeah i actually actually went over and really wanted the job like that's it's weird like really weird you respect honesty, but at some point it's like, hey, let's let's be strategic here. My big thing with him is I, yeah. I have so much respect for the program that he took over and the way that he is, again, talking about culture, revamped that entire culture. Like players talked about how their old head coach had like a, a closed door policy. You felt uncomfortable talking to him. He's made a point to switch that around, got there. It's like, hey, we got to love on these guys. And you've seen that translate to the field. So in some sense, you're like, hey, I can't blame a guy like Scott Satterfield for wanting an SC head coaching job more power to you. Let's be a little bit more strategic with our words, get a good PR team here to, to help us. But I think his seat, unfortunately, is a little bit warmer. I don't know that it's scalding to where he's going to be out this time next season. Um, but I, he's a guy that, again, I pull for and believe his seat is probably warmer. Don't know that it's as hot as some of the other guys we talked about. I don't okay. think I don't think it's necessarily a hot seat or a warm seat, but I do think that given what he did with South Carolina – Given Mac Brown's age, given the turnaround at Chapel Hill in terms of roster, maybe I'm not saying Mac Brown's on the hot seat. He's definitely not. But maybe some within a year or two, it starts to go a little bit downhill in Chapel Hill. He really wants to go back to the Carolinas where his family family's at and all that stuff. I could I could honestly see him having a great year with Malik Cunningham at quarterback. Um, at Louisville, having him have another great year the following season, and then him moving to Chapel Hill, coming close to home. It's a more amicable split, um, but I don't think it's like a hot seat situation where he makes a couple bad decisions this season and he's mm. out. I think they'll give him some time, and I think when they do part ways, it'll be um, more on Scott Satterfield's mm. terms, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think Malik Cunningham might be playing the role of job saver, so he might save. Uh, his job for a year if they have a decent year down there in Louisville but you n- never want to depend yep. your coaching search on one year um before we let you go JD we're gonna make you diagnose the problem that is NIL 
what do you think the future of NIL is? Are you are you pleased with how it's handled? And just what the heck, man? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. There's so many layers to it. It's hard to necessarily land on one. I'll just kind of give you the pros and cons. I mean, the pros is that you're if you are someone who is making more than your scholarship, you are now at liberty to capitalize on that. And I think if we're able to mold this into a way and put up guardrails to where it's actually benefiting the student and the athlete to where, hey, let's give a, a larger percentage of their NIL earnings or some incentive to, hey, if you graduate, you get more money or whatever that may be. I think the biggest issue I have, and a lot of people have echoed this sentiment, when it becomes a, a pay for play kind of structure, which it is right now, that's ultimately not benefiting the young men that are playing this game, right? Like that's just sort of setting guys up for, I'm going to the school that's going to offer me the most money. And in some sense, maybe that's great because your situation at home is where you can help mom and dad up. Well, like I'm all for that. But when it's a matter of, hey, I'm just going to go to the highest bidder. And Nick Saban said this, that's not necessarily investing in the student or the athlete. So, I mean, what's the solution to it is kind of the million dollar question, no pun intended. I do think you have to find some way to cut off the legs that these collectives have right now. Because Jimbo Fisher can say what he wants, and he did as much. I think there's probably some blind eye that's being turned to those collectives that are powers at B. A&M is probably phenomenal in terms of their recruiting pitches. I don't think they're as good as that uh, recruiting rankings are reflecting. I think he's saying a lot of things that are true. I think he's leaving out a lot of things that are true as well if that makes sense, to get to the whole Saban and, and Jimbo NIL dispute. Yeah. So it's it's something that has a lot of layers to it, like I said, and uh, there's a lot of thoughts that are still obviously unprocessed by myself and a lot of other people out there. So at the very least, I think we're going to see change within the next football season. Like By this time next year, there will be some structure in place that will, I think, shield what some of these boosters can do, will shield what some of these collectives can do, and allow it to be a little bit more above board. At the very least, enforcing the rules we have now, I think that's going to ultimately lead to some positive change. Yeah. Okay. I, I think uh, Jimbo's purposely not saying things so that he, they can't turn around and say, well, you right. said this. And he says, well, actually, I never said those things. There's a lot of that kind of put my toe in the water, but maybe not my whole foot situation going on right now and the less i know the better kind of stuff so completely agree with you i hope i hope we do get a lot of uh, at least enforcement of the rules because technically there are rules right. on file it's just a matter of needing an enforcement agency and something to but uh, then again we're asking the ncaa to make smart and sound intellectual decisions so who knows how far we'll get with that yeah the, i mean right. in some I mean, ways i'm kind of glad that oh i'm sorry <laughs> cut you off big head what'd you say no I was just going to say, Jimbo didn't break rules because there were no rules to break. And that that's where the issue comes along. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, there's there's some rules of like, hey, you can't, you can't, what is it? You can't entice a kid to take an offer because you have like a signing bonus form if it comes to your school. Like that's all illegal. It's okay. Now, how do we actually put hands to that and say, okay, you actually did have a signing bonus there. You're suspended or this, this school's in trouble or the coach is in trouble, whatever that may be. The thing that I actually love about the Saban Jimbo feud is you have two of the biggest brands, names, coaches in the sport having like the most ugly brawl publicly to where everybody in the world, even if you don't like college football, you know these two guys went at it. And so in some ways, yeah, that's that's publicity. It's maybe not great publicity, but it's going to be a catalyst for change because the powers that be don't like Saban and Jimbo having words on national TV and having words that are 
in a lot of ways, very unbecoming of both of them. So I think that's actually going to breed more change in a positive way. It's unfortunate. That's the, it's at the expense of what's likely to be their friendship. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So JD, final question. You're appointed as the NIL commissioner, a role that I just made up. You get four regulations to insert into NIL to kind of control and simmer get the get the block not hot because the block is hot right now let, let let's cool the block, block down everybody's looking at us right now so you get four rules maybe five um let's hear them man to to cool the block down a little bit this is this is a great question then four regulations the first one i'm going to say is you get 10% of your NIL money, that's promised to you, 10% of that, let's, let's go 20%, you receive that upon graduation. So in some way, shape, or form, you are incentivizing these kids to graduate. Now, 20% could be enough to stay. 20% could be chump change if I'm Bryce Young. Maybe I want to just go ahead and take my big money in the NFL. So that's, that's rule number one, is we're going to get some sort of incentivization to graduate. Uh, for rule number two, we are going to have some sort of registration process in place to have collectives more above board, meaning you have to have like one designated collective per school. That's a better way to say it. We're gonna have one collective per school. There's not gonna be these three or four, whether it's Miami or AM or whatever it is, you will have one collective and everybody's names have to be on that. And we have to have paperwork that's gonna be checked by the NCAA and those powers that be on a somewhat, let's say uh, twice a year. On a, on a semi-annual basis, you're going to have to let this uh, all hang out and have people come through and look at your records. Tough to regulate, but we're going off the cuff here. So that's the rule number two. Rule number three, how about this? You have to register. If you're a company of NIL, you have to go through some sort of paperwork through the governing body, the NCAA, to say, hey, we are an NIL verified company. So it's not just Uncle Luke in Miami just going out of pocket there and saying, hey, kid, here's $100. Go score me a touchdown. Let's make it happen. Obviously, it's probably a lot more than $100 if you're down in Miami, but that's that's the way that we're going to go about this. So we know who's handing off the money, and we have it on paper as well, per rule number two, who's receiving the money. So we have a lot more documentation, a lot more verification. Maybe it's a blue check we're handing out on Twitter or something like that to where we know who's giving the money, who's receiving the money, how much. That's all on paper. Maybe there's some form of this right now, but I want some department of NCAA on this, and I want them to have a tight grip on it. So that's rule number three. Rule number four. This is, this is a great exercise. I'm just got my wheels turning, man. Rule number four. Golly. We're a very cerebral podcast. Listen, JD's really Dude, I'm, 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 This has got to be a great one for rule number four, man. We got to bring it home. I want to have something to regulate it with the players because I think one of the big problems is guys are getting enticed to, to show up at school because, hey, we'll pay you this much. So I'm thinking, how do we, how do we regulate that, man? I don't envy the NCAA in any way they have to do this. Um, golly, let's just have a heavier penalty for tampering. Like the Jordan Addison thing, let's just call a spade a spade. There was tampering. Pat Narduzzi probably reported that to the NCAA. If we can find definitive evidence for tampering, that is going to levy a, a let's say, four-game suspension for your head coach. We're going off the cuff here. Four-game suspension for your head coach. So if you want to risk it for Jordan Addison or Lincoln Riley, you better feel really good about him coming to SC and you better feel real good about what he's going to do on the field because you're not going to be on that sideline for four games. Those are my four rules. Uh, I think there's a way to implement those. 
it's maybe a little bit more easy to say than to put into practice. But I think we do those four things. We take a step in the right direction. Maybe we don't solve it, but like you said, we cool the block down a little bit if we get those four things rolling. Love the, love your ideas. Um, we we actually discussed this a couple weeks ago, and we had very similar um, ideas as well. I think the only difference was I suggested um, a punishment for the NIL uh, suppliers. So if huh. you're caught with a under the table NIL deal, maybe you're not allowed to make NIL deals for a couple of years or so, and that mm. hurts the program. It kind of deters the players who are interested in the program. They're interested in the money. Deters them away, and that keeps some people home. So. There's always yeah. a lot of a lot of issues going on with it. Too, a lot of that yeah, yeah, exactly. So you don't want to be caught tampering. Um, JD, we appreciate you coming on to the Tailgaters podcast. Um, Sergio, have anything to add before we let him depart into the sunset? Well, I guess it's a sunset for you guys. It's yeah, only four. No, just... <laughs> it's only four o'clock here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to say thanks for coming on, JD. Where where can we find you? Where where can the people find you? Uh, where can we hear you out? Where can we listen to you? All that stuff. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. appreciate having me on. You can find me on Twitter at JD Pacal. And then we're going to be doing our YouTube channel at CFB with JD. That's going to be for a number of days now. We're kind of coming down to the the end of that chapter. That's going to transition to something else. But we're going to be the on three uh, YouTube page here very soon. So that's all going to be something that's happening soon. Another channel is already somewhat active, but that's going to get ramped up here, especially uh, in July is when that's really going to hit the ground running. So on three YouTube. As of July, as of right now, at CFE with JD and at JD Pacal on Twitter. But I appreciate y'all having me on, man. This was a lot of fun and definitely got my gears going. We appreciate you. This has been the Tailgaters Podcast. You can get this wherever you get your podcast. Give us five stars. Make your mom and dad listen to us. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.